All right, Forge family, we've been studying together through 1 Timothy of what the Apostle Paul instructed Timothy as the young pastor over the house churches in Ephesus. In many ways, Paul, by Holy Spirit, is laying down foundations for leaders that will last over the next 2,000 years. We're blessed to have this text. Now, last time we were together, we finished chapter 4, and with the more personal instructions to Timothy, uh, because he had been criticized and spoken down to by some of the older leaders in the house churches. Now, Paul's response to that challenge was to say to Timothy that he is to live a life of godliness of such a magnitude that he would be aflame with godly speech, conduct, love, faith, and Amen. purity, so that his example before those who thought him inexperienced, too young, naive, that 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 example set up in front of them would silence their criticism. Uh, Paul also challenged Timothy to be a template of faith. And then Paul turned his exhortation to Timothy to get back on the horse, uh, to keep expounding the scriptures. Don't let the gift within him, um, you know, don't forget that gift that had been put within him. Now that gifting had been attested by by a group of elders previously who had seen the proof of Timothy's gifts by making a sharp focus on those things in belief and practice he would ensure that sanctification that present tense salvation for himself and those in the churches that he led so let's pray father god we have all had a season if not now then in the past in which we were less than mature unseasoned, unformed in the walk of the Spirit with you. <clears throat> We've all been criticized in church contexts. Now, Lord, help us walking it, be, be found walking in your ways. Keep us alert to the tug of an ungodly culture around us. We desire maturity in you, Lord, and intimacy with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, family, today we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5. First two verses instruct Timothy how he is to relate to others through a spread of ages and genders. These words here may have been rooted in the Jewish culture as well as in the Gentile culture. This is what Paul said. He said, do not rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. The younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and the younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, Timothy was to be careful in his relationships as a young pastor. He'd been planted into leadership over these Ephesian house churches that had existed for 10 years. And so they already had a culture. <clears throat> One of my mentors used to say that the last 10 words of a dying church were, quote, but pastor, we've never done it this way before. <laughs> Decades ago, I became the preaching pastor of a congregation on the coast that was formed by a previous pastor who himself had been deeply wounded. His, his wife had left him for another man. And an, uh, an older senior pastor had reached and picked up this, this wounded pastor and brought him into the, his congregation and sort of sat with him and oversaw him and used him at, you know, in various ministries for a year and then sent him out to plant a church. And he did that. He, he offered uh, divorce recovery workshops in the community. And lots of people came. Dozens of those who came found a relationship with Jesus Christ through the influence of the scripture and this pastor. 
when he left the state to care for his elderly relatives, he strongly championed me as his replacement. Now, when I was confirmed by the elders of that church, I had to learn quickly not to rebuke my elders who are senior to me. But they were really set in their ways. Like Timothy, I spent energy framing how to relate to those who I perceived to be stuck in the mud, those who resisted change, those who said, but pastor, we've never done it this way before. The, the more I exhibited the blessings of change, the more my elders set their heels and chose not to listen. Now, it was not a marriage made in heaven. But uh, part of the reason for that was I was not committed to maintenance mode ministry, to just keep things the way they'd always been. Now here in the text of verse 1, the elderly man is described as just that. He's not one of the older leaders in the church. Okay, Paul urges Timothy to appeal to him as a father. <clears throat> Respect for age was what Paul was after. And such was the order in both the Jewish and the Gentile communities. The text continues with Paul urging that Timothy relate to younger men as brothers. Maybe another way to say, you don't lord it over them. Third, he was to relate to the older women as mothers, and that's to be with honor, and the younger women as sisters. And it's this last category that gets the exhortation, in all purity. Timothy was unmarried. He was of an age when men were getting married in their early 30s. And he was, um, he was supervising, overseeing, pastoring a flock of churches that certainly had a bunch of young women in those congregations. So Paul says to him, relate to them in all purity. Keep your mind pure, your eyes pure, your hands pure, your mouth pure as you relate to those young sisters. Now, today, this is one of those needs that's ongoing in the church for pastors. Old ones and, and new ones. Okay? Next, Paul shifts his exhortation to Timothy to the issue in the house churches of widows. Now here, I need to step aside from the text and help us all understand why and what Paul was saying. As now as mentioned above, Timothy was the age in the young in early 30s when men in that culture chose to marry. Along the way, though, that set young men in the Gentile community, especially, in, in on a path to become serial fornicators, visiting the brothels, working out in the gymnasiums, attending men-only banquets, and some pursued adulterous relationships with married women when they wanted to live on the wild side. <clears throat> the accounts. Uh, that accounts for my comments last week regarding the strong presence of homosexuality amongst Greek-speaking men. <clears throat> and when pregnancies occurred amongst unmarried women as well as wives, they were often viewed as unfortunate events. In married households, the newborn babies were wrapped and laid at the feet of the husband. He either bent and picked them up receiving that baby as his child to raise, or he would walk away, condemning that baby to be set out to be exposed to weather, dehydration, and predators, resulting in the death of that child. A disproportionate number of discarded children were girl babies. 
we know from the churches that from the beginning they would take in foundling baby girls and raise them as virgins. When men in the culture set out to find a wife, she would have been half his age. With a dearth of young and with the dearth of young women, that left promiscuity entrenched in men's lives. Secondly, if a young woman did marry, she would most likely outlive her husband. That left widows in a very vulnerable place. The women usually could not inherit their husband's estate. The widows had to scramble to find a niche in trade or service work that would support them. The younger widows especially were vulnerable because they had fewer years to acquire household skills that would translate to the market. And um, they were often so desperate as to be pushed toward prostitution. It was this situation that was very present in the house churches in Ephesus and in the whole city at large. And Paul begins to speak to this in verse 3, which follows. It says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. For if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to practice piety in regards to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, Paul begins with the Old Testament and the words of Jesus at his back. Okay, If a widow has family, let her seek care from them. Now, these uh, widows in the churches were to be taken in and cared for by blood relatives, blood kin. The hitch comes when these women had been disowned, cast out, and shunned by family. Their faith in Christ may even have been a contributing factor. The synagogue system, Jewish community, had a means for welfare care for destitute widows. But the church did not as yet have anything like that. So Paul steps in. If family existed for that widow, she was to turn to that family for care. Verses 5 to 7 help define, quote, a widow indeed. Now, she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. And she who gives herself to want and pleasure, but she who gives herself to want and pleasure, is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. So here Paul contrasts the godly widow in, in starkly against the married widow. Okay? The latter, Paul describes embracing a life of wanton pleasure. Now some of that was, uh, was probably just sensual, over-the-top dress, foods, entertainment, parties, etc., Okay, the hook is here, this is all lavished on themselves, and then he adds the word wanton. Okay, it was common that young widows were urged to quickly remarry in that Greek-speaking, Greek values-embracing culture. Now, some widows apparently did not, and they became promiscuous. <clears throat> Jan and I had such an exposure when we pastored a former church. Jan, uh, we, we got involved in a and a Bible study in this lady's church, uh, this lady's home, and and we discovered that she had read into the New, the New Testament that since she was no longer able to bear children, she could have as many sexual encounters as she wanted, and consider them righteous. 
and her lifestyle exactly matches what Paul says. Uh, don't go there. This is a dead woman walking. She had dated her way around through the population of single non-Christian men in our town, leaving behind a trail of dreck as she moved on. Her lifestyle was anything but godly. Now Paul urges Timothy to warn and exhort the widows in the house churches so that they may be above any charge brought against them. And then in verse 8, Paul turns to the families that were supposed to and expected to care for their blood kin relatives who were now widows. Quote, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is de denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now that is plain speak. Okay? A man of the church can fall away from the faith simply by being selfish, refusing to care for his mother-in-law, for example. Now, we know that some families have been and are shattered. And it is here that the grace of God and the mercy of God can use that widow to help us help her extend uh, in, uh, the, the ministry that she has embraced so that they come to know Jesus as well, even, even when she's most vulnerable. And if her family refuses her and puts her out, the Christian community will take her up in their arms. In 1985, George Grant wrote a book entitled Bringing in the Sheaves. And it was uh, one in which he took apart the American welfare system and found that if every family in America took care of its own desperate ones, unemployed ones, mentally limited ones, there would be no need in America for welfare. He further pointed out that that was exactly what the church did prior to the Great Depression. Then big government stepped in, and the church lost the moral high ground of caring for the needy and the poor. Yes, our grandparents were overwhelmed. But with each following generation, um, we've let the, the needy slide closer and closer to government entitlement payments. That's to say the welfare system. And the church has not recognized the loss of authority or the loss of opportunity to minister to those in real needs. Shame on us. Now, Paul teaches about those widows who were to be put, quote, on the list, unquote. Uh, as I've studied in this passage, I've run across a resource which I didn't know existed. It was written in the third century entitled The, the uh, Constitution of the Apostles, and it was uh, in the category of the Antonicene Fathers, meaning uh, it was written during the, the period of time in the second century prior to the Council of Nicaea in which... Um, <coughs> Some orders were established for how the church is supposed to function, and um, they, they uh, established the canon of the New Testament, and receiving and establishing what would be New Testament scripture, and denying certain writings because they didn't match the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So this Constitution of the Apostles uh, is found to have an even further and more firm application to church order of government and ministries that Paul's epistles helped establish. 
the reference to the list, unquote, um, was an, uh, to note widows indeed who had met the qualifications. Here they are. You know, if you become such a qualified widow, you're, the church would then financially support you. Let a woman be put on the list only if she's not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, have a reputation for good works, and if she has brought up children, and, it, and she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she's assisted them in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. So here, character and actions over a long period of time are visible and approved of. 60 was obviously beyond childbearing age and made that widow much less likely to remarry. She had lived out her life as a wife with a one-man sort of commitment. And she'd raised her children in a godly manner. Now, the text doesn't say that. It just says she'd raised children. I'm the one who added that phrase, in a godly manner, because somehow I can't, I can't wrap my head around the church putting a widow on the list if she had raised children to run wine shops and protection rackets and gymnasia and brothels. Okay, so you know I, I'm I'm informed, but I may I'm not scripture. The mother of the cartel. Right, that's right. Okay, that's right. Um, so I, you know, that's my two cents worth. There, you can hear it or discard it. Okay. A widow to be put on the list had been hospitable to travelers who shared the faith in Jesus as well as other needy ones that just needed housing. She may have literally washed the feet of true believers as part of liturgy or ministry, but had cared for those who had soiled their souls and needed cleansing and reminders and encouragement. This widow had stepped into the lives of the distressed and lived a life devoted to doing good. Then Paul differentiates between widows. Verses 11 to 15 says, but, quote, refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. And at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go about, around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Therefore, I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. So apparently, there was a significant number of younger widows who had played both sides of the, of the equation here. They, they wanted to be supported by the church financially and spiritually, but then they had their eye out for the next opportunity for a husband, but it, perhaps it didn't even matter whether he was a Christian or not. The church support would have allowed them not to work, but to be indolent and slothful, busy about trifling things. They roamed from house to house being gossips. Now, that was bad enough, but apparently some of these young widows had been, pers been persuaded by the false teachers, and they had begun spreading that message as part of their house-to-house -house thing. Paul said to them, Ladies, get married, 
raise the family, manage your home, keep your faith alive, so that no one can reproach you or the church. If you do not follow through on that, Paul said, you will either join with others who have turned aside to follow Satan. There's slippery slope right there. Now that's what Paul said. Now what we what's not included here, but it was known was that the churches at large would would instantly step alongside of young widows who were desperate, uh, who who really needed help because they had, they had not yet found their niche in the market. They didn't have to have a place to live. They had no resources, and until such time as they could get shared housing or another husband, the church would help some. There was compassion. Now, there's one more category of widow care here that Paul includes in verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, those widows would have been dependent on her, okay? Let her assist them and let not the church be burdened so that it, it, that it may assist those who are widows indeed. Now, recall in Philippians uh, that there was a wealthy woman, Lydia, seller of that of that purple dye that was incredibly expensive and she was the one who was with the the god-fearers the believers down by the river and paul timothy and silas were invited into her home now we don't know that lydia extended her hospitality to care for widows but certainly she had the wealth to do so such a woman paul says who is already caring for widows let her continue to do that so the church is not burdened further, but is then able to care for the widows who have no resources and are widows indeed. So, Forge family, uh, do you remember when we were having weekly suppers together after church? This goes back some years. And in the door would come the poor and the homeless, most of them widows. Uh, they were all connected to what the governments had to offer them, but they were lonely. And a hot meal was a big attraction. Forge set out to help several of those widows. One recently passed away. Another moved 150 miles away, but she stays in touch. And we've even experienced an, uh, an afternoon when a widow stood up to shout down one of our teachers in the middle of a Bible study. So the truth is, widows are not abnormal at all in the church settings today. Um, some widows indeed who are godly, who are, you know, who are supported some, who served in many ways. When I was in high school, our family attended a, a little sort of mission church in San Rafael, north, in the North Bay. And every Sunday, there was a, a pair of widows who came named Jamesy and Cootsie, which was a take on their last names. And um, I have no idea what the arrangement was, if any, that the church had to help support them. But they were effective prayer warriors early and often. Whenever we gathered for church, church picnics, church outreaches, whatever it was, they were there and they were going to pray. <clears throat> Care support. Let me say it again twice. Care support is not measured in dollars. It is measured in presence, in listening, in sharing simple food, in prayer, in working with social workers to attain housing or medical care. You know, search your hearts for any extended family that you have because that's where the Lord would have you step in, right there, by faith. For 11 years, uh, from the late 70s 
deep into the 1980s. That was the first in line counselor uh, at the front door, if you will, of the church that uh, I served. And people would come and ask if they could talk to a counselor, talk to a pastor. And so I would sit and I would listen. By and large, they were 90% women. Uh, and they claimed mostly to be widows, destitute, and alone. And I learned really quickly that I would uh, hear them out and then excuse myself and say, excuse me, I need to go consult with some others. And if you'll just wait for me briefly, I'll, I'll be right back. And I would go out the door and go to the back parking lot. And in the back parking lot, time after time after time, there would be a car or multiple cars filled with family. And they were living in a manner that belied everything that they had just asked for. So I had to learn to discern real need and false stories designed to loosen the purse strings of the Benevolence Fund. Sometimes to help was a real blessing to me and to the people. And sometimes it was hard because I had to deliver the mail to those who had lied in their requests. And I'm sure Timothy had to go through that discerning process with the widows in Ephesus. Let's pray. Lord, this is not just a housekeeping list from Paul to Timothy. The vitality and the sweetness of the church needs to be watered with sacrifice. We're all called to care for our own, but then, Lord, turn our eyes outward for divine appointments with widows and others who are in real need. Help us to discern those who would scam the church and those who would humbly come, who have humbly come to ask for help. In Jesus' name, amen.